chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pews in front of you. We will be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And as you're turning to 1 Samuel, I'm just going to give you a really an introduction and an overview first before we jump in. I like to give the circumstances surrounding the book and the author and you know why they wrote it, things of that nature. But this book is really about transition and change, uh, something that most humans are kind of allergic to. It was a period from the judges in Israel to the kings in Israel, from the corrupt priesthood to Samuel who listened to the Lord. As a matter of fact, Samuel in Hebrew means asked of God or heard of God, and we'll see both in this. Samuel is the last of the judges and really the beginning of the prophetic order. Uh, the author is anonymous, but Jewish Talmud uh, ascribes the uh, authorship to Samuel himself, of course, except for chapter 25, which records his death. The time of events in 1 Samuel is around the 11th century B.C. Samuel fulfilled the offices of prophet and priest, but not king. Uh, Jesus is the only one that I'm aware of who have fulfilled all three offices, prophet, priest, and king. However, Samuel is a type of Christ in that his parousia, or his appearing, was at a time where there was spiritual darkness and really corruption in the religious system. His character appeared to be untarnished by the wickedness that surrounded him. And also he was responsible, at least indirectly, for some of the spiritual revival and victories of God's people. Okay, so we'll jump in. Chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. Love those names. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. So we see the story start out with Elkanah. And uh, he's from the priestly line. If you go to First Chronicles 6, you'll see that. You'll see a lot of the genealogy was meticulously kept in the Old Testament. And he had two wives, Penina and Hannah, as we see. And we see the problem already where the nation of Israel has descended, has plunged into spiritual darkness. This is about the time of the judges. And uh, even the priest has two wives, which, you know, he should be setting the example. So they went to the tabernacle in Shiloh, which was prior to the, you know, the temple being in Jerusalem, uh, to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. The problem was that uh, Hannah was not able to have children, and she was tormented by this, you know, her rival, it says, her, the other wife, uh, Penina. And in those days, it was a societal stigma. It's difficult today if a woman can't conceive, but back then it was uh, pretty harsh, and they were looked down upon if they couldn't have a child. 
But I, I kind of find it humorous that Elkanah is trying to deal with two wives that don't like each other. Serves him right for marrying two women. <laughs> but some, as and you know, we, we, we look at uh, Solomon and he had, what, 700 wives? So um, whatever. I mean, it's crazy. Verse 5, it says, Although the Lord had closed her womb. Now, it sounds a little harsh from our perspective. And um, Dave's message last week, I really liked it. You know, he said, you look at the suffering in the world, you, think, you, you see things around you that are happening, but we're asking the wrong questions. You know, we need to see who the Lord is, and then it starts to make sense, knowing that he has it under control. He's a sovereign God, and his perspective is much, a much greater perspective than ours is. He's a fair God, he's a, a just God, and we need to trust him, right? So, you know, the Lord does have a greater purpose in mind, and we'll see that. And we will read things in the Bible that we don't understand. But again, it all boils down to trusting in, in God. That's what it all boils down to. In this case, God was really honing Hannah's faith and dedication to the Lord. It is possible that if Hannah, I mean, this is all speculation, if she was, you know, Penina had a kid, Hannah had a kid, and back and forth, it would have been somewhat of a competition and to the point where there was really nothing godly in that. So there's a need, right? God shows Hannah a need, and she cries out to him. And over time of the torment and the, and the, the trials that she's facing, her, her faith and her trust become stronger and stronger in the Lord. And she eventually made the right decision to pray for the Lord's purposes here. You know, it would be a shame if we read the Bible and just looked at someone... Um, 3,100 years ago and not looked at our own lives. I mean, what about all of us here tonight? You know, sometimes there's an area in our lives that we feel barren, that we feel the Lord's not answering our questions, you know, that the Lord is not coming through, right? And uh, it, it could be years. It could be decades. Maybe even praying for a loved one that you've been praying for and you know, I, I got to be honest, I mean, we, I have, my wife and I have family members that aren't saved and we love them and, you know, it's, it's many years and, you, you know, you're still praying and you're praying and, you know, what happens though? Do we get bitter or do we get better, right? And, and I've heard that before. Do we find ourselves getting closer to the Lord in those times of difficulty or do we find ourselves drifting away because either one can happen, Right? Do, and that's really the test of whether we're going to trust God or not. It's easy to trust God when everything's going great. Oh, it's great to praise the Lord and raise our hands and, you know, this is wonderful. But what about in the dark times? What about in the barren times? Right? What if God doesn't, we don't think he's answering us? Will we accept his answer no matter what his answer is? And that's an important question to ask ourselves. Verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the afflictions of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. So we see that, we see that 
it went, it went out. <coughs> oh, it's on again. Hold on a second. <coughs> Excuse me. So what do we see about Elkanah? He says, am I not more important to you than ten husbands? You know, she's grieving. She would like a child. And uh, typical understanding, caring husband makes this remark, right? That would have been great if she said, don't make me answer that question. But Hannah pours out her heart to the Lord for a son. And then she offers this son back to the Lord. And we see that Hannah is an extraordinary woman. As a matter of fact, her name means woman of grace or graciousness in many respects. And we could look at this for, uh, we've seen a lot of biblical characters, a lot of accounts where there would be revenge extracted. Uh, She doesn't take it out on Penina. Uh, She deals with the the insults over and over again. A lesser woman might have retaliated. Uh, We see that she's an incredible woman of faith. She doesn't give up. And she puts all of her trust in the Lord for the outcome. She's even willing to give her son to the service of the Lord. How many would be willing to do that today? Somebody that I, remind, uh, I really admire, K.P. O'Hannon, Gospel for Asia, many of you know of him, uh, just really revolutionized missions to India. And he, you know, this man's been doing this ministry for years, and his son, one of his sons, uh, his son grows up and uh, becomes an adult and, and says, Dad, I want to be a missionary too. I forget where it was. I don't know if it was Indonesia, but a very dangerous and hostile place to missionaries. And KP's first response was to say, Oh, no, I don't want you to go there. Lord, what is he doing? But he eventually, the Lord deals with him, and he trusts God. And, and remember, it can happen to any of us. doesn't matter how long you've been walking the Lord with the Lord. doesn't matter what your title is. doesn't matter what you've achieved spiritually. There will be times in our lives where we'll be uh, almost tempted to, to almost panic and uh, you know, think that our answers are better than what the Lord is allowing. So she gives her son up, and we'll see that uh, a little further along that it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. And we see that history is also gracious to Hannah. Before I read this first chapter, how many people remember that Elkanah's other wife's name was Penina? Anybody? Okay, but you all know Hannah, right? So I rest my case. Verse 9, Eli was sitting at the seat of the doorpost, uh, probably was the high priest at the time, overseeing the uh, functions and activities in the uh, tabernacle at the time. And in verse 11, he says, no, she says, no razor shall come upon his head. And we look at that and we would know that, uh, associate that with the Nazarite vow. And others that have been associated with that are Samson and John the Baptist. But what it, go- it goes to show you is that the... <clears throat> It's a good idea to consecrate ourselves. It's a good idea to make vows. But in the sense, uh, if you look at Samson, his life was a miserable failure. Uh, so the whole thing didn't really mean much to him. But certainly in John the Baptist's uh, case, it did. All right, so we can see that. And it would be remiss of me to not you know, explain that through this uh, particular portion of Scripture is where we get our baby dedications from, Right? Uh, Hannah dedicated her son even before he was born to the service of the Lord. Uh, Even Jesus was presented by his parents in the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. Uh, But the point is that we trust God with our children. We trust God with every possession that we have. And we trust God especially with those that we love. I remember when, uh, as soon as we found out, like early on, that my wife was pregnant with our son, um, 
immediately from that point on, even before he was born, we were praying for him and really said, Lord, we, we didn't expect him, uh, but you, you gave him to us and we want to dedicate him back to you. And uh, I mean, we prayed pretty much continuously all throughout his life and his stages and still do. And we found out a few years ago that he has Asperger's and his world is different than our world. He sees things completely different. He sees them in absolutes. And we were like, okay, Lord, what do we do now? We're not ready for this. But it's so cool how God works. And I almost feel like he was saying, remember, you asked me to, to, for him to come back to me. Now, if you ever deal with my son, you, if you try to tell him we, we evolved, he'll fight you. You know, he'll be persistent. He, he'll, he won't stop. And it doesn't matter who it is. So it's so cool how God answers our prayers. And maybe not the way that we would want him to answer our prayers, right? But this kid just sees in absolutes. I mean, um, I actually took a picture of him when they were doing the stage. I had him read a few scriptures, and he was standing there, and he's like this high on the pulpit. And I took a picture of him with my camera phone. It's such a great shot. It was really cute, but who knows? Maybe it's prophetic. Verse 12. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved. But her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So she's praying. Um, you know, you can pray and you don't have to speak. You can just, nobody sees you, whatever, outwardly, but, you know, God can read our thoughts and our hearts. Uh, so in this case, she was not using words, but she was moving her mouth and praying to the Lord. And Eli sees her mouth moving, but no sound, and thinks that she's drunk. Maybe poor judgment on his part, but maybe sadly even more is that possibly it was commonplace for him to see this, that the people had become so wicked that they didn't revere God anymore, that maybe some of them did come into the tabernacle drunk and uh, they just had no reverence for God. Uh, you can see some of that happening in our society, you know? I mean, I, I look at the older believers, and even when I deal with some of the older believers, much older than me, I see just a reverence for God. And as each generation goes by, I think we're losing that reverence for God. Pastor Anthony covered this concept in the Minor Prophets with this corruption issue that went all the way to, to the top, to the leaders. And we're going to talk about Eli. Uh, we're going to talk about his sons. Uh, and, and, you know, it's bad enough when, when the lay people are, are not having reverence, but it's even worse when it goes all the way up to the leaders, and, and Pastor Anthony covered that in the Minor Prophets. Uh, Jesus said that we were to be salt and light, and it's shameful when we emulate what the world is doing. Verse 16, Hannah defends her position and still shows respect for Eli's office. We see that this is a, a virtuous woman all the way around. Uh, it was pretty insulting, and the guy really 
probably off, you know, owed her an apology, but she still continued to show him respect. So and, and that just shows it goes to her credit. And verse 17 and 18, once the misunderstanding is cleared up, Eli's response is, may God grant you your petition. Hannah receives it and assumes it's done. So you can almost say that Eli uh, gives her a word of prophecy here. And she's, she's, just by his words, she's accepted it, she gets up, she eats, she departs, and she you know, goes back into the regular activities. Verse 19, Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. So Hannah conceives and Samuel is born. Again, his name, Samuel, one of the meanings is ask of God. And during the yearly sacrifice after Samuel's birth, Hannah wants to stay home to wean him. And then once he's uh, you know, off his mother's milk and he's able to eat regular food, she's just going to go back there to the, uh, you know, the tabernacle and just give him to the service of the Lord. Again, that's extraordinary. Um, ladies, how many of you would be able to do that? You know, you're the son you've been waiting for for so long, and then it's finally a miraculous birth, and you conceive, and uh, you say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna. to... How many, how many ladies wouldn't have kept their promise after holding that baby in their arms, right, and nursing that baby? But she kept her promise. That's a hard thing to do, to separate yourself from your child like that. Verse 24... Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord or granted to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. So Hannah goes up to Eli basically saying, hey, remember me? (laughs) Remember the situation with my lips moving and and all the whole deal? But she presents Samuel to him in the presence of the Lord. And again, we see more of Hannah's character here because as we go through this book, we're going to see that the religious system is corrupt. Eli's sons are doing worse sins than the majority of the children of Israel, and it's in the tabernacle. It's in the service of the Lord, and it's disgraceful. And even Eli, God deals with Eli for not correcting his sons and raising them right and disciplining them and um, you know, just allowing this type of activ- activity to happen, and we'll, we'll go into that. So there's, you know, listen, word gets around. I'm sure most of the people knew, especially the sons were stealing the food from the people. They were uh, having uh, sexual relationships with the women. Don't think that stuff didn't get around. 
But check this out. And I'm sure Hannah knew it. I'm sure her husband, who was a priest, knew it. But what does she do? Her faith in God is greater than her fear of man. Think about that. She takes this son, this miraculous child, who she nursed, who she became very close to, and gives him up, not to a normal home, but to a, a, a priesthood that's corrupt, a little boy, her boy, but trusting in God. She could, she could fear man. You know, we are, listen, I'm very possessive with my son, and sometimes I've got to, and, and protective, overprotective, and I've got to back off sometimes and say, you know what, I need to trust the Lord more. I'm just being transparent with you. It's my boy. It's the only one I've got, and I only have one, and I want him to make it. But you know what? I need to trust God like Hannah did, right? Sometimes we have to get over ourselves. Right? The closest possessions that we have, we need to trust God, right? and, and that's just what it is. So, I, you know, listen, I, I've read this chapter so many times, and, and then when you really studied it, I don't, I don't want to be guilty of isogesis and reading into the test, but what I want to do is just see things from their perspective. Lord, open my eyes. And this woman's a remarkable woman. Sometimes believers get so worried about the actions of other people that they forget about the Lord. They live as if he doesn't exist. And it's insulting to God when we don't trust him, right? What I would just ask or pray is, as we pretty much are done with the chapter is that we would see Hannah's testimony and that we would see that she's a woman of faith and we would see that something mo the most precious thing on the planet to her she trusted the Lord with and that we if we're dealing with some of these issues with not letting go with not sometimes cutting the apron strings with not giving what's trusted most in our life up to the Lord I pray today that we would repent of that because it shows a lack of faith me included, that we would repent of that and really learn to trust God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so awesome. Lord, you use just regular...